Welcome back to the Clemson podcast. Notre Dame players are on execution watch this week. Ole Miss is preparing to don their sissy blue uniforms for their LSU matchup later on this season. Clemson is 0-1 and life has been better. Welcome back everyone to the Clemson podcast. This is our Georgia recap episode. I'm your host, Nick. Happy to be joined tonight by Shaking the Southland writer and friend of the pod, Tom Dionora. Tom, how you doing? Uh, you know, like you said, life's been better. I've also been better. Yeah, Tom, you, you attended the game live. So uh, very, very uh, much appreciate you coming on the show here to share your thoughts. We're going to get a little bit of a different perspective since you were in the stadium. Uh, I watched it on TV. So a little bit of a different viewing experience. Um, my co-host, Ben, also was there in person. Cody watched on TV. Those guys weren't able to join, but we appreciate having you here uh, to break this game down. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. You know, I specialize in negativity, so I figure, you know, we, I'd come on post-loss so we could kind of commiserate about this. Absolutely. You're a great, great post-loss uh, guest to have on because, you know, I think you, you take a very pragmatic approach to this team and breaking things down. And um, as we've kind of talked about in the prep for this show, there are a lot of things to look at here and reflect on. It's still week one. You know, we'll get into what the implications are of this game, but um, I think we left with, you know, some very clear question marks, and I think it's going to be good for us to, you know, therapy our way through this a little bit, so to speak. Anyway, like with that, Tom, like we can maybe hit at the top here uh, for those living under a rock and seeking out their facts of the game from this podcast. Clemson took an L to number five ranked Georgia at a neutral site came in Charlotte by the score of 10 to three. Um, really a battle of defenses, which I think a lot of folks thought this might end up being. Probably not to that effect, though, in terms of an aptitude on offense on both sides. Uh, both offenses uh, threw, a, threw a shutout, I guess, in the first half. Um, Georgia had the pick six touchdown, so 7 nothing at halftime, and then both teams traded field goals in the second half. Um, despite a furtive effort from Clemson in the second half, could not find the end zone, um, despite first and goal from the five. And Clemson went away with three points on the day, lowest scoring output in – really long time don't know the the exact date or stat on that uh but tom in this one you know no shame necessarily losing to the number five georgia bulldogs pretty much the most talented team in college football by way of recruiting talent and experience and that sort of thing um really good coach under kirby smart as well Um, so again kind of like no shame you know on paper losing this team but i think the way this game went down you know what our expectation has become from Clemson, from the offensive end, um, left a lot to be desired. And certainly we feel like we left many points on the board or on the field in this game. 
probably enough to, to win the game. So that leaves a bitter taste in the mouth coming out of this. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it wouldn't have taken very many points to win the game the way the defense played. Um, and, you know, before we get into everything, I mean, obviously some negatives out of this game, but you know I love Davo Sweeney and his staff. Yeah. And you know that, you know, when you look at the big picture, I'm absolutely thrilled with the heights the program has reached during the Davo era. Of course. And at the end of the day, thick and thin, my blood runneth orange. Always. However, <laughs> I have some concerns uh, that were really exposed in this game. I had them before this game, this abysmal, anemic, just ghastly offensive performance we saw. Uh, as you said, I had the misfortune of witnessing it in person. Um, it's like all the things that we were potentially concerned about, like, hey, like, XYZ could be areas of concern for Clemson um, offensively just totally manifested themselves in just a spectacular hyperbolic fashion. Um, and those concerns uh, mainly lie with, you know, this is going to surprise everybody, uh, the offensive line and the stale scheme and predictable play calling. Great, great hat tip to Stephen A. Smith. Uh, we appreciate it. We, yeah, we tried um, to recreate this, this, the old, the glory days of Skip, Bayless and Stephen A. The way I tend to sort of look at this kind of thing in reflection, Tom, is, and, you know, Quacking Tiger at Shaking the Southland called this sort of a program level loss, you know, not necessarily ascribed to one aspect of the team, but there are, there are aspects within the program that, you know, you could call, call into mind here. And the way I kind of break it down is like, did we lose from a talent perspective? Did we lose from a scheme perspective? And did we lose from an execution perspective? And some games in the past, we would just get, I mean, I, I think you could kind of talk about like the 2017 Alabama game as there's not a world in which the scheme or the execution of the game plan for the team could have won that sugar bowl against Alabama in the 2017 season because there was a talent differential, particularly on our offensive side. You know, we had a lot of youth. We had Kelly Bryant at quarterback, which was a terrible matchup. I think for this Georgia game, going back to that kind of like three part, you know, the three dimensional lens, you want to look at it. I think there was a little bit of all three of those in this. And from an O-line standpoint, that is a talent question. Um, from a scheme perspective, pretty vanilla offense. Uh, we will definitely, I, I imagine, break down kind of what, what our thoughts are on the scheme. And then also just from an execution, which is, you know, in some sense out of the hands of the coaches. You've got fall camp, you know, you do, you do practice. Um, but ultimately like, you know, for, for a guy like DJ to um, not really have that pocket presence or not, not scramble when the opportunity is there, like that's, that's an execution thing. And I think it was really all three of those aspects that, that ultimately led to three points on the scoreboard on that side and tons of mental mistakes and tons of missed opportunities. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like the first thing I thought of as it got to the, really at halftime, but then as I got to the third quarter and I saw that like, wow, we really haven't made noticeable adjustments. And like that first half of the third quarter, Clemson really wasn't moving the ball any better than they had the entire first half. To your point, the, the first game that popped into my head was that 2017 Sugar Bowl loss to Alabama where, but yeah, the key difference there is they just, their defense was just infinitely more talented than Clemson's offense at the time. And Kelly Bryant just, wasn't the right quarterback for that matchup. 
And right. I at least had some optimism going forward, like, hey, the following year, we got this phenom, Trevor Lawrence coming in, he'll probably cure a lot of these ills. And sure enough, 15-0 national champions put up 44 in Alabama that year. But funnily enough, even during those years, I talked about how like some of these issues were kind of hiding or kind of popping up now and then, but for the most part, Clemson was winning. So we maybe paid too much attention to it. Um, was some of that stale play calling in the scheme. Maybe that was covered up by maybe a slightly less inept offensive line and just a generational talent at quarterback. And then Travis Etienne in the backfield uh, obviously helps, but even last year he struggled behind um, the offensive line. Um, but kind of getting back to your point, um, this was really like a little bit of everything kind of went wrong. And on the one hand, a lot of that's correctable, which is good. But on the other hand, yeah. it does give me some pause of like, if Clemson is fortunate enough to be able to run the table through the rest of its schedule and enough other things happen across the nation for Clemson to get back to the playoff and they see a team like Georgia again, are they going to be ready for it? Are they going to be able to match up better than they did? Uh, Saturday night. Yeah. Or, or you look at Alabama, which seems to be, you know, the class of college football yet again, like what would, I mean, I spent, we spent the last couple of days, like as fans thinking about, okay, like, so there's a path to get into the playoff. Maybe we sneak in at the four seed. If we have one loss and there's like other champions around, like Clemson's track record will get us in if the brand is strong. Do you really want to be the four seed playing a one seed Alabama <laughs> right now, Tom? Like, is that is that what we want? <laughs> I don't think that would be very enjoyable to watch. But the funny thing is, like, by the end of the season, if Clemson runs the table, I'm going to convince myself, like, they figured it out. The offensive line has grown. The guys have gotten better. We're ready. I convinced myself before that 2017 game that Clemson would win that Alabama game. And then after, like, the first five minutes, I was like, yeah, this is going to be a loss. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, and one, th one of the aspects of this season as we looked ahead that definitely talked about with some of the STS guys coming on the show and as the podcast here we discussed as well is that the future is bright at recruiting and the offensive line and some of the other key offensive positions that we've struggled a bit of late. And so that's good. I do feel like we're in a little bit of a bridge situation here. We also have the offensive line coach purportedly of the future on staff in Thomas Austin whenever Robbie Caldwell should choose to move on. It's just that 2021 is what it is in terms of the, you know, the, that talent. And um, in this game, it was really interesting. I mean, I, I do think we've recruited well in the 2020 and the 2021 classes on the O-line, but we really only saw six offensive linemen take snaps in this game. Paul Teo being the only reserve that saw the field. Um, of course, Mason Trotter was out. I don't think we really heard what. Uh, his status was, or kind of how the degree of his injury, but uh, Matt Bockhorst put the ball on the, on the ground a few times and snaps. That's really been something Clemson's dealt with in the, in the O-line or from the center position really for the last couple of years. So I guess what I'm saying is like, we, we believe from a talent perspective that the coaching staff is making the right moves to address that in the long term. But as we look through the lens of this season, I don't know if just development and those guys gelling is going to be enough for them to hold up, you know, become a national championship contending offense. Uh, what's so crazy is the defense type of defensive performance Clemson got out of this game to keep us that close to Georgia in that, you know, Georgia likely does have the very best front seven, if not the best defense in the country. Um, and we just, we just hung really tight with them despite getting almost nothing on offense. So 
Um, it kind of, it's a little bit, are you glass half full or glass half empty about this offense? No line. Right. Um, I imagine come ACC championship game, this unit will look a lot better than they did on Saturday. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, again, I am excited about some of the talent coming in. I know Tristan Lee was a big recruit and hopefully he can pan out, but obviously that's not really, it's probably not going to help us uh, here in 2021. Um, but yeah, to your point, um, I think they will gel and improve. Um, but I do kind of question the coaching a bit. I, Robbie Caldwell is so highly thought of from everything I hear. Um I sometimes I kind of question that a little bit because the offensive line was pretty bad in run blocking for most of last season. Uh, ETN's running stats obviously like were by far the worst of his career, um, and you know, in the, obviously there was last night what happened, and I just feel like the O line has seemingly never really been elite. I think it was really good in 2018, um, and how about that? That was like the best Clemson team of all time. Um, it was really good in 2018, but even in like, you know, 2016 when Clemson won it all, you do go again. It's like, oh, we're not, we're not running the ball. You know, we're just going to have to get creative, uh, which that gets into something we'll get into later. Um, but yeah, the glass half full, glass half empty. I do think that they'll gel and improve uh, as the year goes on um, and be better than they were Saturday night against Georgia. But I worry that it's just not going to be enough if they play a Georgia or a similar elite defense again later in the year. Which that then brings us, I think, let's talk about scheme. So there, there are ways in the past Clemson has, has seen matchups where that, that unit is just going to be outmatched. So there are other things that they do pre-snap and post-snap just in terms of, you know, moving the point of attack um, to the outside or, you know, having some type of misdirection that we really didn't see any of that to start the game and didn't see that throughout the game, even though the O-line did look to be uh, not that effective at getting protection for DJ or creating the type of run gaps for uh, Kobe Pace, Will Shipley, and eventually on one carry, Lynn J. Dixon. So uh, I, I guess, Tom, like, I want to give you the floor to talk through your thoughts on the scheme. Um, this, was, this is Tony Elliott's seventh season calling the signals as the OC. And there have been moments over, the, over, the, over that stretch, obviously two championships, where Clemson did have somewhat of an inventive, you know, or at least you know, played to the strengths of its talent, offensive play calling approach. And you know, we are so spoiled as fans and um, you know, expectations are really high, but it does seem to some extent that like one could look at it that like you mentioned it, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, like that elite level of play out of those, those talented football players may have masked over the scheme coming down to earth a little bit or opposing defenses, figuring Clemson out a bit. And we haven't quite seen the, uh, the evolution of the playbook, you know, keep up with that. Yeah. I mean, I think having that talent, Watson, Lawrence, Etienne, helped but i think the issue i think things run the story runs deeper than that um i was looking at uh you know scroll doom scrolling through twitter just to kind of like you know i don't know some some kind of weird therapy that i was going through after the loss um (laughs) hoping and yeah and uh dan orlovsky who i really like when he um calls college games as a as um color commentator um 
lot of people probably know him from like ESPN NFL program, but he does call some college games and he's really good. I think I know him from running out of the back of the end zone. Yeah. That's what everybody knows him for. So whenever someone disagrees with the take with him on Twitter, they just, uh, they post that, I guess like the gotcha every he's time. He's a really good sport about that, which <laughs> yeah, is yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he also, has I agree. He's, he's t- a good yeah. analyst. He yeah. is. He has brutal food takes, uh, but okay. he is okay. a, he, also um, Mina Kimes usually just owns him in that department. Trashes him. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. But um, he does. He is a really um, a good analyst, and um, you know. And so, with that in mind, like seeing he had a tweet basically, and somebody were saying like he's been safe for two years. Clemson's scheme stinks. Um, it's not, and he pointed out, he's been saying for a couple of years, it's not a new issue. I think as we were talking about, it was somewhat covered up by a combination of Clemson playing a lot of weak competition. Um, Trevor Lawrence being a generational QB. Um, just a quick aside here. I also saw, uh, a national writer. I won't, I won't say who, uh, but I, I don't think he's very good, but he had a take that, the issues were because ETN is gone. I'm like, that is such a small part of the puzzle. Like, if you watch Clemson oh, yeah. football last year, like ETN like wasn't really getting much on the, the one between the like, tackles. W- was any realistic fan that knows this team at any point Saturday being like, you know what would solve this entire deal right here? <laughs> if only Travis was on the field. Like, maybe Trevor, just from and I think we'll get in a you know, coming up about what we saw from DJ in this game. You know, if you want to say Trevor, I will listen to that argument. Sure. And it, this is not me trashing ETN's impact or how good he was. I agree with you. It's just such a small piece of that puzzle. Yeah, I was like, I was watching the game. I was like, man, Kobe Pace is no good with ETN back where it wasn't what was going on. Um, and, and I didn't even feel like UJ was even like bringing the house that often. They were just beating us in the trenches. Like they didn't well, have to. They're you know, <laughs> yeah, their scheme is set up where they they. They rush their three D linemen and then they come in with stunts with linebackers. It's just how their mint front is designed and set up. And um, a lot of the way they did it, the way they pushed our line, a lot of our would be blockers from the tight end or running back position would get washed out of the play. And DJ would kind of step into the wrong lane and just right there would be a linebacker. um, And that would happen a lot. So, or our rushing linebacker or rushing running back would, would run right into that linebacker. So exactly. And I was listening um, to a bit of sorry. Uh, yeah, I was listening to a bit of Eric McLean and Kelly Gramlich's podcast post game. And McLean po- mentioned that UGA was playing a man two defense, which put simply kind of to what you were getting at, like every single person, i.e. like the corners and linebackers, they're in man to man, then there's two deep safeties. So basically that's cutting off the big plays deep. And it's forcing a lot of tight window throws and we can get into DJ in a bit, but he basically couldn't figure it out and wasn't able to like make those right reads. And I think, and I think you can make the argument. Yeah. Maybe Lawrence probably processes things a little quicker, mm. makes some better yeah. decisions is a little more decisive, but getting back to scheme, as we were saying, uh, it has gotten less and less creative. Um, you, I'm sure you remember as all Clemson fans do fondly, uh, the 2016 Fiesta Bowl, the, uh, the famous 31 nothing Ohio State game. Um, we all just remember, oh, we shut out Ohio State. But when you think back to the context running that game going into it, uh, Ohio State didn't have a great offense, obviously. <laughs> they got shut out. But, like, you know, JT Barrett didn't scare anyone. Uh, but their defense was elite. They had 
an elite secondary, uh, ball hawking guys like Malik Hooker, Marshawn Lattimore. Um, they had really elite linebacker play. Raquan McMillan's a name you might remember from that time. Um, but still, like Clemson found a way. They get they were creative and they found a way to create points. I mean, yeah, having Deshaun Watson, the quarterback, didn't hurt. But as a team, I looked back at the stats the, that game. They had 205 rushing yards against that defense and 265 passing yards. So really good balance. They had a lot more QB runs, which you didn't see very much of at all uh, against Georgia. Watson had 15 carries, 57 yards. Wayne Gallman had 18 for 85. And I think a good microcosm of how they used to be creative. Maybe you remember the last touchdown they scored in that game, the one that made it 31. Um, it was like a misdirection play. The whole line like went left. Gallman went back out right, and Watson just faked everybody out. Pitched it to Gallman on the right. They were like inside the ten yard line. He basically walked into the end zone. Um, and I, I was at that game, and I remember how awesome that play was. Then of course I rewatched it a few times, and I remember Fowler and Herb Street specifically using the word creative to describe the Clemson offense. Um, and to think five years later where they are. Uh, they're so far from that now. Everything was just so vanilla. And in most early season games, you're like, okay, like we're waiting to like open the whole playbook until we, um, you know, play a big game and we don't want to put everything on tape, but this is your big game for the regular season. Open it up. Um, so yeah, and I, was, I also, <laughs> yeah, yeah go very ahead. good throwback game to reference Tom. And I like, that's, that's generally been our refrain, you know, in the September games when, we're upset when we're, you know, in a tight one with Virginia. Like I, I think it was last year. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's many, many, many games that aren't coming to mind for me that we felt like that. And I don't know though, when we do get into that ACC championship game or into the semifinals that we actually did see the playbook open up and all of these, you know, crazy gadget plays or, you know, just these genius offensive plays come to fruition. Um, the game that the game that I kind of looked to as at the time I thought was evidence that Tony Elliott is actually a, a great in-game adjustment making OC was the same Ohio State you know program in a Fiesta Bowl um, in 2019 that season where nothing was working in the way the offense was running that season which is featured a lot of Justin Ross and T Higgins to the boundary um, and a lot of inside zone running and you know, talk about maybe early signs of the running game kind of decreasing its effectiveness and potency. But everyone remembers just like the the non-fumble Justin Ross situation, but he and T were out physical and just, it was not working. Tony Elliott flipped that, got Trevor way more involved in the running game, got ETN involved in the passing game. Yeah. And at the time I was like, wow, great adjustment from Elliott. You know, he, he saw what the defense threw at him, found their weaknesses and exploited that. Um, but how much of that was the talent of those two guys, like able to bail that out? I, you can't extract the two from one another, you know, Elliot's right. ability to make that adjustment and then the talent around him to go execute it. I think for this game though, we didn't necessarily see the answers come to fruition from him. And I will, you know, I'll give it up to him. He, he has since acknowledged in today's press comments and I, they might've had some yesterday as well on Sunday, uh, today being Monday when we're recording, like, that's great, but I, it's kind of like, well, okay, you acknowledge you didn't make the right adjustments or the right kind of play calling to calm DJ down, get him into the flow of the offense, and then later in the red zone with play calling. But like, 
what is it? What's going to change? What's going to be different about the scheme? I'm still left to question that. Yeah, I think I liked a lot of what he said, but yeah, that was the one piece that was missing for me when I when I watched his interview. Um, when there was nothing specific about scheme changes, yeah, maybe you don't want to like put that out there, but he didn't even like even kind of reference that the scheme would change. He was more just like, you know, we got to look at the film and we got to, you know, execute better. And I'm like, well, you got to make some adjustments. Like, because when, mm-hmm. when, when, when halftime came and Clemson had no points, uh, I said to myself, like, all right, like, we better see like a totally different looking offense in the second half, obviously moving the ball, but like just some different things schematically. And then, the first couple possessions, I'm like, this this looks like there's more of the same, you know? Um, yeah, Tom, I mean, maybe this is the point of the program where you and I get to be armchair Monday morning, you know, armchair quarterback Monday morning, quarterback, whatever you want to call it. Like the adjustments I would have liked to see make, and I welcome you to add some of your own here. Sure. Um, if it wasn't working with Justin Ross in the slot with TJ being able to lock in and find him, for whatever reason that was the case, I would like to have seen them try to move Jay Ross to the boundary and, you know, get him more involved in 50, 50 balls, which that is his calling card. That is, that is what he does. If that gets Jay Ross more involved in this offense, like, great, let's do it that way. Um, I thought Ingata played very well, you know, in his, in his role. And maybe, maybe we didn't need that Jay Ross type adjustment since Ingata was doing what he was doing. But um, that's kind of one that, I expected to see just finding more ways to get the ball in your best playmaker's hands coming to the I second told, half. I totally agree. That that seemed obvious to me at halftime. I was with my buddy, Ryan Cantor. He's been on the show before. You might know him. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, seems like we should move Ross to the outside in the second half, especially because coming out of the game, that pick six, Dabo said that that was Ross's fault for not running the route correctly. And that was when Ross was lined up in the slot. Um, it clearly wasn't working. Obviously, he's been away from the game for a while. It's incredible that he's been able to battle back, and I'm just so happy he was out there. But I think that he could be best utilized on the outside, and that became obvious to me after the first half. So I totally agree with that adjustment that I would have liked to have seen, maybe get some more matchups against Darion Kendrick. We know kind of what his weaknesses are. Um, we saw when Ngata, our, the best receiver from the game by far for Clemson, when he was lined up against him, there were a couple of times he, he totally burned DK. Um, so I just, you want to put your best talent in the best positions to succeed. Um, and I didn't think they did that. Yeah. Any, any other adjustments that kind of stuck out to you as something again, after the fact 2020 vision, looking back um, that you would have liked to see Tony Elliott make. Uh, yeah, I've got a few here. I've got a list. Um, so we don't yeah. have to like go deep on all of them, but um I think another obvious one was where were the QB runs there? I know there was something to me, a little bit of RPO. Um, there were maybe three QB runs that I can remember. One was like a QB counter that got totally stuffed. Okay. Uh, the other two that I remember, I believe came in the second half and they saw gains around five, six yards each. Uh, why didn't they try more of that? Especially on that first and goal from the five yard line in the second half um instead of three passing plays i mean dj's like built like a lineman like if he just starts moving forward he, he's not going to go backwards you know what i mean um yeah so and what's funny is yeah. in, in some of the reports after the game like a lot of the clemson media was talking about how 
that's just not part of his game. That's not what they try to like scheme up for him. That's not what he's comfortable doing. I, uh, <laughs> I beg to differ. I think at, at modern day, his team in California, or I'm sorry, at John Bosco, St. John, St. John Bosco, yeah. he played modern day very often. That was a uh, JT Daniels school, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at Bosco, DJ was running all the time. Now, granted, he was playing against, you know, high school talent, much smaller than him. Um, but I, I don't know. I think that does need to become part of this offense. And yes, our backup quarterback situation is very grim, but it's like uh, Auburn's situation behind Kim Newton was really grim too, right? Yeah. Like you can't, you can't play with fear of like, Oh, what if he gets hurt? This is a big game. We need to win the game. Like put your best foot totally. forward, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, DJ did acknowledge in his commentary today that he, he can and should be, be more open to, pulling the ball down and running it, you know? So, but I think, yeah, from your point on the scheme perspective, designing those runs, particularly at the goal line um, would have been welcomed. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in a lot of games over the years where maybe there were times when the offense would start to stall, they would turn to the QB run game. Like you mentioned in that 2019 Fiesta Bowl against Ohio state, Trevor Lawrence getting more involved in the run game in 2016. I remember uh, the ACC championship game against Virginia Tech, come uh, to start out hot, then had a couple drives where they didn't really move. And then by the second half, Deshaun Watson was running the ball a lot more and that opened things up again. So I was looking for that, didn't see it. It's funny because like the coaches say, oh, that's not really part of his game, but you hear everywhere else, he's talented to have this power run game. He's not going to like, you know, blow you with speed or anything like that. But I think that he can be maybe more like a Taj Boyd type runner in that sense, he's obviously bigger, but like Todd Boy is more of a power run guy than a, you know, like a shifty speed guy. Um, yeah. Maybe there's fear of him getting hurt and then comes down to deal with thin QB depth. But I just, like I said, you can't let a fear like that stop you from opening up your playbook against an elite team. Yeah. And I, I think from like a, and we've seen it in the past with, with Clemson's very own offense. And you also saw it with Florida state last night. I mean, Florida state for the last four seasons has just been maligned with crappy offensive line play. And last night they still are, they still seem to be, but last night you saw them doing a lot pre-snap to try to distract and, you know, really disrupt um, Notre Dame's defense. And they also made heavy use of the screen game as well. And I think both of those types of approaches uh, for Clemson was non-existent in this game plan or in any of the adjustments made on the stretch uh, in this game. Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. You actually, that was one of my next points I had here was, yeah, I watched that game. And like you said, we know Florida State has had, they're worse than Clemson on the offensive line, like by by a lot. Um, but they found ways to get creative with some motions, misdirection. They had 264 rushing yards against Notre Dame. Like, I just think the Clemson coaching staff, they need to realize there's a clear weakness at offensive line. So, yeah, like, let's hope they gel. Let's coach them up. Let's help them improve. Let's do that. But at the same time, and especially in the shorter term, they have to get more creative schematically to mitigate the weakness. I think we could do the rest of the show talking about like, could have, should have, what are, what would we do differently? Let me ask you this. Let me pivot it and we'll move on. Sure. Do you think they will make these adjustments? Like, do you think we'll see it? Have, has enough, has a big enough fire been lit under Elliot Dabo, et cetera, Brandon Streeter, to reform this offense to a way that places are a bit more creative when we do start to face off against the better teams on our schedule or, you know, knock on wood, God willing, get to the playoff. 
I don't think they're going to do everything the exact same. I think that would be insanity, like literally the definition of insanity. I think they're going to make some tweaks. I don't think it's going to be enough of a change um, to get them over the hump come playoffs if they even if they can even get into the playoff. Right. Like you're not seeing this turn into a 35 plus point offense um, against. I mean, yeah, top I think against, defense. Sure. I think against the schedule, it could be a 35 plus point offense for the regular season. I, that wouldn't sure. su- surprise me at all. I'd be really disappointed, really worried if that if it wasn't. Um, but against top 10 defense, um, I do have a hard time seeing it. But like I, like I said before, in like 10, 12 weeks, I'll probably delude myself into thinking that they're Oh, ready. sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll come around for sure. Yeah. And it, look, like, you know, and I, soon enough here, we have a couple more points to hit on the offense before we can talk, talk the bright spots of the team. Um, there were bright spots on the offense too, but I think defensively we were really pleased with this effort. You may not need to be scoring 35 or 45 points to win the natty. Like we did our first two uh, of this era, like in this, in this day and age. Now I do think office offenses are more potent now, but mm-hmm. from what we saw from Clemson's D and what, what you see out of a Georgia, I do, I do remain optimistic that this offense can figure it out to the degree where if we, if we rematch with Georgia, Surely they're going to get better. They're going to get Washington back and probably George Pickens back on mm-hmm. offense and probably be a more formidable offensive foe. But I sure do want to rematch against Georgia. I'd much rather face off against them than probably Alabama, OU, or Ohio State, if I'm being honest, just based on the potency of those teams' offenses. I would agree with that. So, yeah. That kind of leads me to actually a glass half empty take, which Clemson's defense is really good, but. I think UGA's offense is not that good, especially shorthanded as they were, like you mentioned. But I thought JT Daniels was super overhyped coming into the season, coming into this game. And I think I was proven correct on that. Um, so is this Clemson defense good? Yes. But that was not the best offense um, in the country by a long shot. So right, right. that does concern me a little bit. Um but I do think the defense we, is the yeah. strength of the yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. No worries. I let's let's maybe share last thoughts on DJ real quick. And then I definitely yeah. obviously want to drill in a little bit deeper to the offense and what Georgia threw at us. Yeah. Um, let's talk DJ though. I think everyone coming into this year was like, look, we've got proof of concept. He you can say what you want to say about the BC game. They found out DJ was going to be the quarterback against Clemson like on Thursday of that week, and they played a Saturday. So um, I thought he he did do a great job. He showed poise in that game, regardless of whatever scheme advantage we might have had by playing a new quarterback. Um, he led a comeback. He showed poise. I think the Notre Dame game is really the game that Clemson fans, national media, like everyone pointed to and turned to to say, this kid's ready, you know, get an offseason under his belt, getting that chemistry with receivers, taking first team snaps. It's he's going to be plug and play for Trevor Lawrence. And I, I, you know, nobody expected him to come in and and be as effective as TL was when he graduated or when he, when he left the team, but you know, TL himself kind of had took a few weeks. If you remember to kind of find his footing in the offense, Um, DJ in this game didn't necessarily have his T Higgins moment, but against A&M in that game, like we really did have Kelly Bryant come in and lead the team down the stretch uh, back in 2018. So um, what I'll say about DJ is that 
performance and he's acknowledged it, he did not look like the same guy that was, you know, facing off against Notre Dame last year and, and backup duty. And I, I kind of go back to, I wish we had seen the coaching staff do what they could have done in the first couple of series to find a way to throw out max protect or do anything to try to get DJ feeling comfortable in that offense. And I don't think they thought he would be as rattled as he was. Um, but I, that's, that's almost an immediate adjustment that you wish you'd, you had seen. Agree with that. Um, it was weird. I mean, again, I was at the game, so I'm not like seeing the same angles and commentary hearing the commentary, but from what I could We're see inside the face mask. Right. Right. Yeah. But for what I could see, he had no pocket presence and it was just not what we saw last year uh, in the couple games he started. And there was all this narrative about how cool he is under pressure, how he doesn't get phased by things. Again, I didn't see him under the face mask, but like he seemed nervous, seemed tentative early on. Um, he wasn't trusting his initial reads because like I said before, with the coverage Georgia was throwing at us, um, it was, it was forcing a lot of those tight windows. And I think he was hesitating at first thinking it wasn't there. Um, and that was leading maybe to a, a good amount of the sacks that he had to take. Yeah. I, I also wonder, like, did he almost believe the hype a little bit on the O-line issues where everyone kind of acknowledged in pregame comments and knew it might be a problem against an aggressive Georgia front. And the minute he saw that in real life was like, Oh yeah, that is real. That is happening now. Like, yeah. Did that get to him at all? I wonder. Um, right. We'll never know. Hard to yeah. say. He'll always say um, it was, it was all his fault, but yeah. But yeah. yeah. And he owed it. He definitely yeah. didn't blame his line. And I don't think we're here to just like, you know, account or attribute the, uh, the blame here. It's not really what we're about. I think for me, it's, I'll ask the same question. Like, do we, do we think it was just a case of kind of a tough start for him and, um, do you think he'll be able to figure it out and get back to kind of like what we, what we thought we had? Yeah. So unlike, you know, the offensive line and the scheme, which I think will improve, but maybe not enough. I'm actually not worried about DJ. I'm not panicking at all about him yet. Like, was he good against Georgia? No, but class half full, he did look considerably better in the last quarter and a half or so. Um, he was being a little more decisive. Um, I think we've seen enough from last year, what he did against Notre Dame on the road. Um, look, UGA is a great defense. They're better than Notre Dame. Um, Kirby Smart and that staff had a whole offseason to prepare. They had some film on DJ. Uh, it was a bigger crowd than we've had, you know, since the pandemic. Uh, it was a full crowd. First game of the year. Chemistry still being worked out. There's a lot of factors going into it. So to answer your question, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about him at all. Um, at least not yet. If this goes on a few more weeks, then yeah, it will be. But um, I think he'll figure it out. I just, uh, it's the rest of the, it's the O-line and the overall schemes that um, concern me a bit more. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Tom. And it seemed uncharacteristic, which again, like you do hope that that he can, he can break himself of that. I think we're going to get, you know, decently hyped up matchups in the ACC coming up. Like NC State looked terrific in their opener. Um, and again, granted, it was against USF. They're a pretty rough program at the moment. Sorry, Jeff Scott. It's true. Uh, but it, like, yeah, I, I feel good about DJ. One thing I wanted to point out, I listened to the recap of the game from the excellent cover three podcast over on CBS. And Bud Elliott is new to new to that podcast this year 
but he, he knows a lot about Clemson. He's a big FSU guy. He did national recruiting for SB nation um, and banner society before moving over to 24 seven sports and they're affiliated with CBS. Anyway, Bud's thought here is, you know, he, from DJ's high school accolades and what we saw a year ago, like, you know, that's the real DJ. Um, he's surprised DJ didn't run the ball as much, but also like he attributed a lot of the issues we had to receiver, not Clemson, not having like that Hunter Renfro or the Amari Rogers, like safety valve third down go-to guy that can, can move the sticks and really put it on the receiving core, not emerging and not being able to figure that out and like break open and break free. Um, I thought still George's secondary was, was gettable. They were vulnerable. Um, they're inexperienced. They could have been attacked more than we did, but they got a touchdown. They got a pick six against us and um, they managed to keep any Clemson players from really emerging on the night as, you know, a real good go-to option. Um, you mentioned Ngata. He did have a good game. Like want to give it up to him, but it's interesting that, you know, a guy whose football opinion I respect a lot, but Elliot is good on DJ kind of put a little bit of the blame on the receiving core, not, not emerging to, to come down with that. But it's like, I think that's the kind of thing that we're going to need to play some games to see who can be that guy and emerge in this offense. Um, just it, we wipe the, wipe the slate clean on the receiving core experience. EJ Williams is now out with a thumb injury. He right. was the returning guy with the most receptions from the year prior. So like truly we turned over like 98% of our offense now, you know, moving in the next few weeks. So it's going to take some time for DJ to find that groove with, you know, maybe it's one of the Collinses that steps into into that backup slot role, or maybe, maybe you shift Justin Ross around this offense a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's funny um, that analysis from Bud Elliott somewhat um, is somewhat consistent with what Dabo was saying after the game. And Tony Elliott was saying too, like some of the receivers, not being on the same page. Uh, Dabo specifically saying the pick six was Justin Ross's fault. Um, and I think it is an interesting point that there isn't that like prototypical slot receiver, that safety valve, like on the field, it's a bunch of tall athletic receivers and those are great. I love to have receivers like that, but maybe they, there does need to be a little more diversity uh, in the receiving core. Yeah. And Brandon Spector is one of the injury injured players in the game. He's going to be out for quite a while. And he was actually a guy last year that Trevor Lawrence went to a lot in the the tight situations, you know, when we needed to move the, move the chains. So um, seems like his presence will be missed. I think if you ask most Clemson fans, like he would not have been a fact, you would say his absence would not have been a factor in this game, but maybe it was, we'll never know. When I saw before the game, I said that he was going to be out. Um, I wasn't really worried. I was like, I, I don't think he's very good to be perfectly honest, but he might just give after seeing what we saw, like maybe he gives us the, the receiving core enough of a different look to, to be effective. Right. Could do. Um, any parting thoughts on, on the offense here, Tom, um, before we move over to the defense? Yeah. I mean, I could go on and on about the scheme. The only other thing I was going to mention was, um, and maybe it's hard to do with since they weren't getting a ton of first downs, but uh, we'd love to see Clemson incorporate some tempo into the offense again, like they used to. Uh, it's really how they beat that elite Alabama defense in 2016. Um, so would love to see that. I didn't think we saw pretty much any of it. Georgia, even with their vanilla offense uh, and not calling like any exotic plays, 
there were some times I noticed they were rushing up to the line, trying to beat us on tempo, kind of the, the Ohio State blueprint from last year. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that in Clemson's game. I'm not sure we will, but that was one other thing I wanted to touch on. Yeah, and I think to, to make that work, you're going to have to be able to trust your offensive line guys, like the depth there to play. Like, you know, we're not going to, if we're only going five, six deep and guys playing on the O-line, o you don't want to get their play count up into the 90s or up, up into the 80s yeah, and 90s. Yeah, they're not going like, to hold up. Yeah. Yeah, and then DJ gets hurt, you know, toward the right. fourth quarter. So that all these things, like none of these things we've talked about are in a vacuum together. So yeah. um, as those as those solutions, as the depth gets there, so too will the ability to run more plays, run tempo, um, find specialists, you know, find the right matchups, that kind of thing. So um, if we're trying to be optimistic, which we are, you know, there's time to figure that out in a softer ACC that Georgia, you know, for, for all their offensive woes, um, and they, they also had some injury misfortune come up during the game on offense, that that's going to be harder for them because they're going to have to face off against the likes of Florida and some other pretty stout and Auburn eventually, and whoever comes out of it, uh, SEC West, you know, they're going to have some tough matchups coming up here soon. So um, we will see, but Tom, why don't we flip it over to talk defense? We've touched on it here, Tom. I think that the Clemson defensive performance here, they're as good as advertised, if not surprisingly a little bit better than that, just in terms of, you know, when, when we found out Tyler Davis was out for this game and then when Nolan Turner could not go, that gave me a lot of concern about this. I think that changed a lot of people's prediction for the game uh, because I think we were predicating it on being able to stuff the run, which Tyler Davis is great at. And, you know, Nolan Turner is an indispensable leader in the back end of that defense. And, you know, himself has been a turnover hawk since he uh, started getting playing time. So without, without those two and their leadership and their presence, I think it was um, a tall task for this defense and they lived up to that. And you could, you know, we've already commented a little bit on what did Georgia really have going, but you know, all that is true, but they still have like four or five star dudes, you know, mm -hmm. with, with some experience, like going through all levels of their offense. And I think JT Daniels just looks super rattled. Um, the question is how good is JT Daniels ultimately? But I just, I want to take a moment to just say like, wow, what an, what an awesome sight to see a Clemson defense that potent and hold an opponent to three points on that side of the ball. Definitely. Um, yeah, Georgia's offense aside, um, the defense did everything they could to win the game. I mean, I was in Brent Venable's interview, like it should have been five seconds if he were being honest, like, yeah, we we did, we did, we should have done to win the win the game, you know. I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> um totally. But um yeah, I I made my piece before game time with Tyler Davis being out, but then right before the game, I I was checking Twitter and saw that Nolan Turner was gonna be out. Um, cause I knew he was like questionable coming in. Um, yeah. And like you, I was really worried cause they already aren't that deep at safety. Um, right. but here's where the Andrew Makuba, uh, mention comes in. He is really good freshman. Uh, he played 59 snaps. Uh, I think it was more than any other safety by far. I think second highest was Jalen Phillips. Um, he had Makuba had eight tackles, um, was on guys, was hitting guys, um really excited about his future feeling really i knew like i was already excited about him as a prospect but seeing him do that in his first game um has me you know really pumped up about what he can bring to the team um so yeah the defense and when they get tyler davis and nolan turner back it's going to be that much better 
Right. And I would say, I mean, you know, Georgia's offense still very talented, talented unit. Maybe their own play calling was somewhat vanilla, as you mentioned in reference, but compared to most ACC offenses, like they're going to be as or more talented and probably more effective. I think there are probably going to be a couple here, like NC state being the one that I continue to go back to that will challenge Clemson's defense in spots, but it's not going to be something where I have like deep concerns about a very large aspect of the team, like you yeah. know, the ability to cover downfield passing or, yeah. you know, getting gashed by the run. I think there's, there's enough complementary talent in spots where we're thin that, you know, Brent Venables can absolutely figure things out. And if we do end up being, being thin at safety, um, breaking news, I guess, Landon Zanders is now going to be out for the year yep. um, with, you know, shoulder injury issues. Um, Lolan Turner is also not on the depth chart for the South Carolina state game this weekend. Thinking we may not need safeties to win that game, but um, either way, like it's going to be thin there. So I do trust Brent Venables. What I was telling you kind of leading into our preview here is, you know, maybe we, maybe we sort of see some guys like Malcolm green, keep get his talent on the field more. Um, and sort of like a, a roving Isaiah Simmons type role um, to try to make up for, you know, any, any lack of depth or talent at the safety position. Um, Joseph Charleston and Jalen Phillips, like it's, it's time for those guys to have a leap here and they're going to get their opportunity. So I, I just, I, I'm just concerned about just again, depth, you know, down the line, if, if any of those guys should also go down with an injury. Yeah. That's definitely the, the biggest concern is depth in the secondary. Um the other guy I do want to give a shout out to, <laughs> maybe it was different because again, I had some perspective being at the game, being way up in the nosebleeds. Um, but I thought Trenton Simpson looked pretty good, looked improved from last year. We know like what kind of athlete he is the, when he came in. Um, I thought last year yeah. you could see the talent athletically, he's, but he's a he freshman a last lost. year. Yeah, he looked a little yeah. lost sometimes. You know, he looked he looked like a freshman for a lot of the, the season, but you saw those flashes. And I thought he looked a lot more from way up where I was. I thought he looked a lot more composed and kind of knew where he needed to be. Yeah. Very, I thought just very good game um, from really all three levels. I think the D line uh, kept the pressure on Daniels. Um, Georgia themselves had O-line issues in this game. I think there were like, regardless of any injuries happening in the game, they were still not quite clear on what their, they're too deep or even, you know, who the starting starters were going to be in this game. Uh, Tate Rutledge left the game early and what a Georgia name for an O-lineman that guy has, but uh, he's <laughs> going to be out for the year too. It looks like for Georgia. So that's a huge uh, blow to their offense. Um, yeah. Definitely tough. So anyway, I think like, you know, defense played great. I think the bit, if you want to go cl- glass half empty for the season, it's well, how good is Georgia and how elite right. really is this defense? But I think just th- they pass they passed my eye test and they, they showed us that I think we're going to be able to contain and hang with most offenses, um, at least from that side of the ball, which you got to have that if we're going to have a, a lot of question marks of our own. Um, so it's about as good as it can get on that side of the ball. Injuries, notwithstanding to the guys we mentioned. Agree. And I have to call you out um, and say, like, I hope you're not truly sincerely worried about Dave Dorn, NC state. <laughs> Yeah, I'm truly not worried about NC State, Tom. Uh, good call out there. They're just the only team that remains on our schedule that looked somewhat competent uh, in their first week matchups. Yeah, I would agree with that. Competition, uh, definitely not the highest, like you mentioned. But um, 
I thought maybe Louisville would be tricky. I saw we started recording at halftime. That game was 26 nothing Ole Miss. So they look mm-hmm. like they got a mm-hmm. lot of things to figure out. Georgia at Tech Pitt, lost to yeah. 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 Georgia Tech uh, had a bad loss. Pitt at Pitt could be a really annoying game. I'm really kind of not looking forward to that game. It'd be I could just a lot of stupid stuff could happen in that game. But right. um yeah, maybe NC State might have like a bit of an offense to to contend with, but ultimately, like I think the walls of the universe won't allow Dave Doran to beat Clemson. If it does happen, then I think I just have to quit college football for the year. That's probably a that's probably a good good notion. And the FSU game might be interesting down the stretch. Uh, just that that's notion. true. They looked a little more competent, uh, right? Like a, at least like they were actually trying to. I think it was a big difference. <laughs> Right. That's right. You're motivated. Um, I mean, we went pretty quick through the defense. I think um, highlights or names we haven't really mentioned yet of guys that I thought had really great games. In addition to Makuba, Andrew Booth looked like that guy. Like he was, he was bought in on all plays, uh, making hits, making, you know, defense, defensing balls, that sort of thing. So really great to see that from him. We really needed him to become the alpha and it looks like he's he's a willing player in that role, um, so that's awesome to see. And yeah. again, you need that you need that to happen at all three levels. Skalski, same dude as he's always been. I was a little worried there that maybe he had um, he had his bell rung. You know, maybe he had a yeah. stinger or potentially concussion protocol stuff. But um, and who knows? He might have. But that dude's just so tough. He stayed yeah. in there. Um, one concerning note, I don't know if you, you caught this at all based on your vantage point, Brian Brzee left the game at some point. I saw him. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him leave the game pretty early. He was definitely back. Um, he was jogging off fine. So it's, it looks like it might've been a shoulder, uh, issue. Um, and I, again, I, I didn't read too closely the, you know, the Dabo clippings, uh, from his pressers, but looked like a shoulder, I don't think he would have gone back in if it was anything more structural, like a clavicle or a collarbone, but, um, or hopefully, no. hopefully just like a stinger or something, you know, that's what the hope. Would yeah. Be. It could be, or a partial dislocation instead of a full, but we will see there. But, uh, the dude, he, he also had a very strong game in exerting pressure in the interior part of that line. And, um, I forget the exact situation, but definitely, uh, pulled a guy back who was trying to make a first down on third down. Yeah. Um, really closed up that play. So, yeah. Um, we we don't have to go through every every guy. I thought the the whole defense uh, exhibited really great play in this game. Yeah, I thought we had those standouts at each level of defense. Like you said, um, I mean, Booth had that excellent tackle in the fourth quarter on a third and short for Georgia to put them in fourth down and give us one last chance. Um, ultimately, it didn't work out, but that kept kept Clemson in the game for sure with a chance. Um, and that's really all you can ask yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. And Skowski looked like he was just flying all over the field. Um, there were a couple of times I felt like maybe when there were some breakdowns, he was there to clean it up. And that's what you kind of look for out of your kind of leader on the linebacking core. Yeah. Tom, I wanted to maybe take a bigger step back on this defense. I mean, one of the big question marks coming out of the Virginia tech game last year in Ohio state, you know, clearest example of exploiting, uh, Brent, some Brent Venables tendencies and some tendencies of this defense. I think we had a, a lot of those questions answered about this team's readiness uh, for snaps. I did see a little bit, and you, 
you're going to have to go back and watch the broadcast to kind of see some of that. Um, there was still maybe a little bit of confusion and guys getting set in the right spot, uh, but it was not nowhere near as egregious as those two games last season. So for me, I mean, it was just super clear that Brent Venables had this game plan dialed in really well and was making the right, right moves that, throughout the game to uh, confuse and befuddle JT Daniels um, and really bother him, um, which was great. Great to see. Definitely. Yeah. I noticed a couple of times when on those few occasions, like I mentioned, where Georgia did try to incorporate some tempo. Um, there were a few times where I could definitely see, especially on the back end of the defense, some confusion, some signaling as Georgia was snapping the ball, but um, there's only a few times. And it, from what I can remember, it never really burned Clemson like it did in those two other games. Yeah, it just didn't really seem like that's what they were going for, but they also were not that efficient in their offensive plays. Like they, their success rate wasn't that strong. So yeah. had they been, like who knows, it could have snowballed. But again, they, they were not, so all good there. Um, but I guess, Tom, I mean, just from like a conclusions on this game perspective, you really do, you can't, you can't help but be upset with that type of defensive performance holding Georgia to three points. And the opportunities that that offense still had to, you know, really one play away from tying this game. And I feel like that would have been enough to get us to a point where we would have won in overtime if it had gone, gone into that phase of the game. You just yeah. really feel for Brent Venables and for the defense to have that kind of performance go and add up to a loss. Definitely. It's frustrating. I mean, you can't ask any more of the defense. Um, you definitely get the feeling that if Clemson ties the game on that last drive and it goes to OT, that with DJ playing a little more confident, Clemson having just tied it, I feel like Clemson probably wins the game, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. at that point, steals it. Um, and Georgia tried to give Clemson a couple of gifts with, the, gifts with that, uh, that fumbled punt where it hit the guy's foot, put the ball at midfield. That was right before the pick six where that was gifted back to them. And then Bayo Inspector's inter- interception, terrible throw by JT Daniels. Clemson had the Georgia 33-yard line. DJ takes two sacks and they're out of field goal range. Yeah. Just couldn't have that. Just a killer of momentum. You know, if you want to believe in momentum, I just, I think for the defense to stay in it, like that, that also speaks to like their caliber of focus and coaching staff. And, um, you know, they, they still stuck, stuck in the rest of the game. And we're like, all right, we got to be the team. We got to be the part of the team that, you know, gets a team win here. And um, I, I take my hat off to the defense for what they did in this game. But um, I guess like we don't like to dwell too, too much on special teams, but I liked what I saw from uh, moments from Will Taylor, true freshman athlete. He's probably at this point, our fourth string quarterback um, in, in the punt return game. You know, maybe he busts one. We'll see here, but good to, Good to not have somebody like Jay Ross back there who needs so much in the offense. Like, let's see what Will Taylor, the young guy, can do. And I thought yeah. Spires, um, I don't like the rugby style kick. I'd love to, you know, figure out a competent punting game the traditional way, but I guess oh, yeah, that, that, led to, that led to that uh, fumble recovery. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, results over process, I guess. But um, yeah, really. <laughs> Spires looks, no, yeah, for sure. I, Spires does, I mean, He's still, I need to go look at his exact averages, but um, I'm pretty sure he was in, uh, I think I have it here. He averaged 41.4 and he had a 51 yard long and he had, of course, that forced turnover. So um, about 
about all you could really ask for from him. Um, George's kicker missed a field goal. BT Potter was one for one, obviously no extra points. So, um, and Clemson only had one, what three opportunities to return kicks. And I think we took, um, we took touchbacks on most of those. So anyway, um, nothing really to report from the special teams end. Like it's just, I guess, you know, knowing what we're going to get out of the offense, maybe special teams becomes a bigger part of this team this season. Um, yeah, I think the I one know, thing I would comment on. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'll just say I'd always like to see a little more dynamic play on special teams in the return game. I feel like Clemson has the athletes to do it, and they just never really have it as part of their game. Um, at least maybe not since CJ Spiller. Um, Will Taylor makes me a little nervous when he goes down real well to catch those puns. I guess maybe he's using his body to protect. So if he does muff it, he's right on top of it. But uh, I tell you, my heart did skip a beat a couple of times when he was back. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Um, but again, he's, you know, he's a strong athlete. So it'd be good to see him be able to be able to actually take one upfield and not just do the touchback thing, but yeah. or the fair catch thing. Um, let's see. So I guess one, one kind of aspect that we haven't touched on in the punting game is Clemson actually sending pressure when the opponent is punting. Like, I feel like what has been leading to, and John McElhaney wrote about this in season preview for special teams on FCS. Um, one aspect why it seems like we always face off against like NFL level punters is Clemson doesn't send pressure. So that punter knows that and they can really get themselves set and take a little bit longer to really get the best boot on the ball. And if we were to start to send more pressure, I think you're going to get rushed kicks. Maybe they don't get the same yardage or hang time or positioning that they, they would hope. So um, the special teams is now being run by Mickey Kahn. Um, he's a secondary coach for Clemson as well. Now that Pyramid is no longer in that capacity. So hopefully we will, we will continue to see that aspect of, of this game, you know, turn around a little bit. Something we didn't talk about either on the offensive side is field position totally sucked the first yeah. half. And really throughout the game. And that is something early on that I think led to some of DJ's anxiety and troubles was Absolutely. being pinned back so far. And just got him off on the wrong you know, foot, you know, two drives, the end zone right behind him, um, gets you off to a bad start, gets you totally out of rhythm. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So again, a, a little thing to clean up here. It's common coming out of week one where you've got those issues. Unfortunately for us, we played the number five team in the country and took the loss. But um, there's there's still time, still time to figure that out. Definitely. I know I had some pessimistic takes here, but I would feel better about rematching Georgia later in the year. My pause is with like Alabama or Ohio State. I don't think we're, I don't know if we're going to get to that level, but um, Georgia, I kind of would like to see them again. Right. Yeah. For for a lot of reasons, I think like get it, get us the opportunity to avenge that, shut the dog fans up a little bit. Um, but more than that, the matchup, I think favors us more so than those other teams you mentioned, Ohio state in the first half, um, w did not, they didn't, they didn't look that all that great. And their defense still continue. Like, I, I still think their defense will be a potential liability for them. So yeah. they, talent, but they, they break down, man, yeah, they, they have a lot of breakdowns, so Right. For sure. And they've been, I mean, this past season, that was also their issue. We, we just couldn't manage to exploit it in the run game. So um, it kind of limited Clemson somewhat, but um, I, you know, that's going to improve throughout the season by the time we see them, but 
that is still going to be the weakness of their team. I suspect, and Alabama's replaced guys as well. Um, Miami didn't do much against them, but that on paper is going to be the weakness of their team. And I, I yeah, they're, they're the matchup to avoid, at least in the early going here. Um, but Oklahoma, how about them? They took all they could handle from Tulane. Yeah, and wasn't it supposed to be a home game for Tulane because of the hurricane? It was actually played right, so it was, in Norman. It was in Norman. Right, so but it, it was, was in Norman, yeah. and it was, you know, felt like a Tulane home game essentially based on the result. But um, <laughs> what's funny about that, though, is Spencer Rattler threw three picks. Yeah, and he was yeah. everybody's Heisman favorite. So um, I should I should have put down money on Bryce Young odds before uh before the season when he was like behind those other guys because now he's at the top of the list now he's now he it's changed so yeah a miss a miss for me (laughs) right oh well um any final thoughts on this clemson game tom i mean i think we think we kind of hit on the high notes like maybe a thesis for this game is like there's a lot of a lot of things you could point to to describe why we only scored three points some of those things are correctable down the stretch we probably are not going to see this Clemson team turn into a top 10 offense. You may not need a top 10 offense to win the natty, but then you really got to have a top one or two defense. I feel like, so I don't know if we're recalibrating our, our aspirations or expectations for this season. Um, But you either way, just from a program standpoint, you would like to see the team start to address some of the schematic stuff. um, If we're going to compete in the future. Yeah, I think some things are going to improve and take care of themselves, but then other things are kind of bigger overarching issues that they need to take a little closer look at um, because I think this past game kind of put the magnifying glass on a lot of things that have kind of been working, but maybe not um, wholly evident maybe until now. And let me ask you this, like Tony Elliott um, reported to be of interest for head coaching positions. I think could probably do a pretty good job running a program, but you know, do you think there's, we're at the point now, if this season doesn't go great, there might be a mutual parting of ways. Like, do you, do you see Dabo potentially ha- make being able to make that decision or actually going through with that type of a decision? Um, even if Tony, Elliott's not drawn away from other programs or by other programs, you know, would, would Dabo be like, do you think Dabo would be compelled to and actually go through with making an OC change? Um, I tend to think that wouldn't happen quite yet. Um, it'd have to be a really rough year offensively. Um, if they're not scoring 30 plus points against most of the rest of their schedule, then maybe, but, um, right. I tend to think that that wouldn't happen at least not at the end of this season. Um, maybe if it happens again next season, maybe that's kind of the time you look at it, but, um, I think Elliot's safe for now. And personally, despite all my complaints, like I'm not saying I want him to be let go. Uh, I want Clemson to hold on to him still. Um, but I just, I, I, I do like Let's him. Just do better. Right. Let's just do yeah. better. And like, you've done it before. Um, so let's, um, let's kind of reevaluate. Yeah. I had some DMS with um, Twitter user access staff. He's a listener of the show. You might know him as the Clemson bag man. And, you know, his comment is like, look, we've got Taj Boyd on the staff now. Um, let's get Taj a little bit more involved in the offense and kind of talking about how to, how to mix in a little bit more of that QB run into the flow. Um, I, we've got a lot of Clemson, like Clemson's coaching staff is Clemson right now. 
you've got Brandon Streeter, former quarterback, CJ Spiller, Taj Boyd, like Tony Elliott, all former players. That's great. It's, it's, it's built the culture. We we're here because of them hundred percent. But, you know, I think way back when, when we brought in Chad Morris, there's a little bit of that outside thinking, you know, mixing into the program and brought in Brent Venables. Yeah, correct. And I, I would like to see, and look, I don't, I don't follow all the movements of the coaches and that kind of thing, but you also heard in the last few seasons, Dabo going out to Oregon, Dabo going out to learn concepts from Stanford, like, you know, mixing and matching with other coaches, coaching staffs. I'm sure that Tony Elliott is keeping up his network around college football. Uh, But when I think about bringing in analyst support or assistant coaches, that sort of thing, you know, maybe getting some new blood into the program, some, some more innovative thinking, I would welcome that entirely. And I think there's still probably, you know, expertise and innovation to mine from the, the dudes we have on staff. Um, but yeah, I'm also open to them looking outside and um, not sure what your thoughts on that are. I think diversifying in that sense is almost always going to be a positive. Um, it, yeah, it's great to have the positive of the in-house, all the in-house uh, members of the staff is that continuity and that culture. But um, sometimes your thing gets stale. And that's the word, I, the one word I think I would use to describe the offensive scheme the last couple of years is it's stale. Right. Um, well, look at Alabama, and- right? Like it, unprecedented amounts of turnover at coaching staffs. But Dabo, I mean, it's he's like rehab for coaches though, right? And he does bring in, he does it for a reason. He's not doing it for, you know, uh, altruistic purposes. He's doing it because these are great football minds. Didn't quite work out being the head guy wherever they were, but they come in and, you know, bring bring a new recall to the team that Saban can exploit with their talent to keep their their offenses or defense or whatever fresh. And it's worked. It's kept them relevant throughout this era. Would love to see some of that at Clemson. And look, you don't have to do it Alabama's way, but right. that's pretty proven to me. Um, the other aspect here is going to be the transfer portal. And Brandon Streeter in the offseason, kind of in the July timeframe when fall camp was kicking off, was like, yeah, we took a look at it, but honestly, you didn't see really any any positions that you know the talent out there was going to meet needs for us. And what I would say to that is, there may be guys on teams right now that are not going to go into the transfer portal, but if Cle- if they knew Clemson was available and had a need, you might leave a Missouri, a Texas Tech, or a Purdue to come to Clemson, but yeah. not to go to, you know, Boston College. Let's say, you know, right. it's you, we're we're giving you the opportunity to plug a hole that we have through a lot of reasons why we have these holes. Doesn't really matter, you know. Can you do you want to come in and compete for a natty? I think we would get a lot more guys coming out of the woodwork if we showed that we were open to it. Yeah. Put, put it out there that like, we need to address these positions, let the brand do the work like it does in, you know, traditional recruiting. Um, totally agree with that. And find our way into it. You know what I mean? Like no one's really suggesting that we replace, you know, we take like half a recruiting class here. It's like, couple guys, guys you recruited and, you know, they made their choice to go somewhere else. They want to change. Cool. You already know there's a culture fit, like go get those guys. And I'm sure there's a a way Dabo could come up with a transfer portal policy and process that feels like it upholds the culture and he puts his unique spin on it. Like some acronym, some acronym he'll make up. Yeah, absolutely. Like, but (laughs) 
it is time. And like Georgia, Florida state, Alabama, like those programs, Ohio state, like those programs are proven, you know, they've, they've had proven turnarounds or even Georgia recruiting at the level they are. They've got, they've got quarterbacks to transfer JT Daniels, USC, just Justin right. Fields, Ohio state transfer from Georgia. Didn't Arian Kendrick. Yeah. yeah. And didn't Alabama, isn't there a receiver? His name is escaping me, but he had a big game against Miami. But he was an Ohio State guy, and Ohio State's so deep yes. receiver now. Goes to right. Alabama, you know? Yeah. So, it's... No, absolutely. I, it's a thing that you. when you talk about the talent and offensive line and, like, our ability to only really get six guys to play and we can't find a center, I'm pretty sure we could have convinced the center at one of those schools I mentioned or, you know, a middling power five team or the best of the Mac, like... Get a get a get a dude that didn't quite you know fulfill his offer from Wisconsin, but is playing for a Mac school. Like, get yeah. get one of those big dudes. It's a little absurd that you're Clemson. You've had this sustained success now for a number of years. You're this top program, and going into the game Saturday, you don't know who your starting center is. Yeah, I don't know. For me, like, I agree with you that this. There's a lot of like knee jerk reaction. Clemson comments coming out this weekend. I'm not a let's let's run Tony Elliott off this season. I mean, again, there there may be a world where I change my tune on that. I do think, insofar as Robbie Caldwell is able to um, not be our lead um, offensive line coach next year, like let's let's make that transition as soon as possible. Yeah, I think something needs to be something needs to happen there to jumpstart that position group because it's been the Achilles heel of the team for a couple of years now. Right. Exactly. All right, Tom. Well, you know, I think maybe we'll wrap with optimism because that's what, you know, it's what we do here. The goals of the team are in front of the team. This team can absolutely still make the playoff can tack on to its already gaudy streak in the ACC head to head against South Carolina, head to head against most of our division rivals. Um, That's all fun and good. I think everyone who listens to this show wants to know if they're a natty contender I would use the word contender. Yes. I would not use the word favorite or even likely. Um, But that's why we watch the games. It's exciting. I think like there's plenty of development left and look, I spent most of the off season arguing with my co-hosts about like, Oh, it's going to be so boring. We're going to slaughter the ACC. Like now we have something to actually evaluate and look at and hope improves. So, you know, I'm seeing that silver lining from this situation and um. Clemson's talented. I'm not, I'm not counting them out yet, man. Yeah. I mean, if, like you, when you asked me earlier, like what I'm going to, what I think like right now, like I think they can get back to the playoff. I think they can win the rest of regular season games. And I think probably enough can happen with other teams to get open up a spot for Clemson. Um, but right now, like to your point, I don't think I don't see them winning a title, but a lot can change. Um, and it's going it, to like you said, it's going to make it more fun to watch the games to because there's specific areas the team needs to improve in. And if they can do that, it'll be really rewarding. Absolutely. Um, well, thanks for coming on, Tom. Do you have any articles coming out soon that our listeners should know about? Um, yeah, not particularly. Uh, I've kind of taken a little backseat on Shaking the Southland. I do um, do some Q and A's um, with writers from opposing SB Nation sites. 
Sometimes I will also uh, answer questions for them, for their sites. Um, I've got a few of those on the books for this year, probably about five or six of those. Um, so look for those in the coming weeks, um, maybe a, an occasional article here or there, but otherwise uh, I'm more of a kind of commentary slash looking on Twitter kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, why don't you plug your Twitter? Let's get, get the follow count up. Yeah, I apologize in advance for the content, particularly the hockey and New York Rangers content that most Clemson fans <laughs> don't care about. Um, but the handle is uh, at Tom underscore Dianora, my last name, D-I-A-N-O-R-A. Awesome. Cool, Tom. Well, thank you again for coming on. Always great to chop it up. Um, any parting thoughts on this season or this team? I think we covered it pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, there's – um, most of their, their goals are still in front of them. Um, and now we have specific things to watch for. And I think the last thing maybe I'll say is, um, we're spoiled. These are the good old days. Um, I don't know how much more of these days we have at least, you know, for the next few years, but, um, it's been a lot of fun and like when Clemson occasionally loses a game, let's, let's kind of think back to where they were pre Dabo and, uh, I'd be grateful that we've been able to see this era. Yeah, I don't think it's over. I, I know what we've got coming in at the quarterback position and other positions. So it's important to enjoy it. It's important to enjoy like as the era evolves, like what this team's identity is and all that. So yeah, it's good to keep perspective even, even when you have a tough weekend like this. So um, we will constantly remember that. Um, but thanks again, Tom. Thank you to our listeners. Please do tell a friend, leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. I think iTunes is still a thing. Um, wherever you can leave a review, please do so. It's a great way for us to get discovered when people are looking for Clemson content. Um, if you made it this far, thanks for tuning in. And as always, go Tigers. <laughs>